Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey, heroes. Just a reminder, this time next week, I'll be at Gen Con, along with the rest of the hosts from the OneShot Network. All of them! We have a panel Saturday evening at 6 that you should totally come to, and a hangout afterward at the tap at, like, 7.30-ish that should be open to everyone, Gen Con or not. Please, come hang out, say hi, and be big weird nerds with us. It's gonna be real good. For the show this week, I sat down with Brian Feaster, whose name I mispronounced last time because of my German vowel biases. It's cool, he got me right this week. Brian is a developer by day and an RPG nerd by all the times, and has been crafting an open-source RPG for several years now. Open Legend is a system designed to balance the crunch, or rules part of your game, with the fluff, or the narrative and story bits, so that they support each other rather than bogging each other down. But I better let him explain. Let's get to the show. So this week I am joined by Brian Feaster, who is the author of Open Legend RPG. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit, what what you do, and, and a, a little bit about the game. Okay. Well, my day job, I'm a, I'm a computer programmer, uh, software engineer, and a lot of that actually does sort of influence the game in a roundabout kind of a way. We'll probably talk about that more. But yeah. uh, that's like, that's my day job. I enjoy that a lot. And I'm an interesting person, I guess, different from other indie developers because um, a lot of times people get into playing lots and lots of different games. I always am most comfortable and happy like in a campaign setting, like a long-term campaign with some familiar people and stuff. And so uh, in that regard, you know, over the last 20 years that I've been playing role-playing games, mostly I play D&D. You know, and so I just, I reached a point where I got really frustrated with D&D and uh, about five years ago and started writing this game. And uh, that's the short version of how, how I got to where we are now. That's a pretty good version. I, I find that a lot of the people that we talk to, that's a lot of the uh, encouragement that they need to make a game or to hack a game is, well, this game just wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. So yeah. That's that's the part that's super interesting. Is this the first game that you've made? Yeah, this is the first game that I've made. Cool. Yeah. Had you had you done any like um, mods of games or or supplements or anything like that before? Well, I'm a, I'm a really so the thing is this is this whole effort endeavor has really stretched me uh, on a personal level because I actually I am by default I'm a hermit. And, um, <laughs> not, yeah. not like talking to people, you know, on the internet and all kinds of stuff and like live streaming games that I would have never done for <laughs> any time oh, wow. in the past. But, um, but anyway, um, so in, in the past 20 years of running, I, I think I've, I've written from nothing like 10 worlds or something like that. And in each of those worlds, I always have abilities and feats, often entirely unusual character classes that are just really specific to the theme of the game that are like D&D classes that I just completely make up. So I've always done this, actually. So <laughs> Very, very cool. And so D&D has been kind of the primary game that you play and the the inspiration for the, this open legend okay because i because well, i got a very like D D fantasy feel from yeah um just reading over it well, yeah. i like the thing is i like other games but the thing is that um and I, I really like other genres too it's just that the problem i've had is that um it's kind of like because fantasy is the sort of de facto standard i feel like more development like game development attention kind of ends up resting in that that arena. And so like for me, I've not found a lot of other games for like sort of, uh, different genres that have the same like feeling of like real, like a strong foundation for like a really good long-term campaign. Like, I, I don't know, this it sounds like sort of biased, but I mean, like I really love Deadlands, you know, that's a really great system. Um, and so like that was like a big one, but you know, other games that I've enjoyed are like Paranoia, but that's not a campaign type game, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it, the goal was that it should be multi-genre though. And so we already have in the works a number of different efforts for people that are writing like alternate genre that uses the same core of open legends. So 
Oh, cool. That's definitely something that I, I want to talk about. And sure, why don't why don't we actually do that now? Um, sure. Like looking through what you've got up so far for Open Legends, um, there's a lot of information just available on the website, but there are like there's pre-gen characters, all the art that you've got, which is amazing, thank by the way. Thank you. Thank you. It's it is it is definitely very, very D&D, very fantasy, yeah, very yeah, yeah. elves and wizards and swords and sorcery, yeah. you know, the, the character archetypes that you've got. Uh, so how. How difficult or, or how, how has it been uh, expanding that to be like, to include like cyberpunk or to include like Western or, you know, anything that, that people want to play? Because that, that's what I'm seeing in the information you're putting out is that this is going to be a system for anything. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the idea, so that kind of gets into some of the, like the specifics of the mechanics and how that works and the, the inspiration there. So this is one example where it kind of borrows from my my day job, my career as a programmer, where, you know, we take, we take principles and we abstract them so that they're like these tiny, like utility, like tools that can be reused many times rather than like having this like really, so like when I think of D&D, it's kind of like, <laughs> in a way it's kind of like a badly written computer program because everything kind of <laughs> connects to each other in weird ways and you have like wires hanging off and some things do two things and like you know so one of the goals from a design perspective was that everything is like the singular folk they're like these very focused bins of of types of function that each do their job well so like the the reason that relates to the gen the uh, genre question that you just asked was because um, you know you don't have to have we don't have a spell list right so there's mm -hmm. no like concept of like oh a fireball does x d six damage and has a thirty foot radius and whatever instead you know how big an area of an effect is is determined on the fly and it's changeable and mm -hmm. also like um, whether you deal like burning damage and like the opponent, your, your enemy catches on fire and keeps taking fire damage. That's all stuff that's kind of separated out. And then you put it together on the fly, like Lego building blocks that you sort of put together. So from a genre perspective, that means that almost all of the banes and boons, which are like a back, sort of backbone to the system should be applicable to most genres. So like a new genre book might have some new banes for things that are like unusual or genre specific, but a lot of that is sort of very generalized on purpose so that it can be used in like many genres. You know, that's kind of the, the thought. So yeah, I, I want to take a look at how how this game works, the mechanics of it, kind of step by step. You've got it laid out really cleanly on the website. Uh, the other thing, I guess, before we start breaking breaking into Open Legends and, and seeing what's inside there, is uh, you had a good blog post that I I liked a lot. It it resonated with the way I feel about games on uh, fluff versus crunch <laughs> and sort of the the inspiration for making open legends is that something that that like D, &D in particular didn't do very well for you or like just j games in particular yeah well i mean it's gonna be when i when i answer something like that it's gonna be tainted by my perspective which is a lot of D, &D. So, yeah. so yeah for sure but i think i also think and this is nothing against um you know this is just because like it's like I'm an engineer and it's just kind of my personality. I like to build like this thing that's like, you know, a machine that works well. And so that's kind of like, that's how I hope that the game comes across as best I can. But like, you know, if you look at the indie RPG scene today, I think probably one of the most common things that you see is new games that come out that are um, very interwoven with their story and their plot and their setting. And um, they're like, you know, some of them are... Uh, intentionally micro games other ones maybe that's not the intention but that's kind of how it ends up but, mm -hmm. but like yeah but so for me I feel like there that that linking of that sort of close knitting of story with rules I think is like the reason that these games become limiting like if you look at a game like Pathfinder where you have like hundreds and hundreds and I'm sure it's many thousands of feats or whatever that have been published it ends up being that those rules, they almost tend to, you take a feat and it's like everybody else in the game can't do that thing because now you have the feat that says like you have, you have, you've cornered the market on this like particular ability. 
And so mm-hmm. I feel like to a lesser extent, I guess, maybe, you know, I mean, that's third edition D&D, of course. And then, you know, like fifth edition D&D, it's probably a little bit better about not doing that. But, but yeah, I just feel like, you know, with that story versus strategy sort of fluff versus crunch question, I guess it's like, if you just let people, if you just use the mechanics to prevent people from breaking the game and breaking the fun for everybody else because, you know, they can do more stuff than everyone else, which isn't fun. Um, if you use the rules to do that and then you just allow the story to just sit on top as sort of icing on the cake, which is changed and, you know, easily modified, like that's kind of my vision for like Open Legend, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. Have you taken a look at any other genreless systems or, or systems that are a, a little more vague? I guess with their fluff. I have I have um, to some extent, but I'm not like one thing that a lot of people talk about is you know games like GURPS or mm-hmm. Savage Worlds and stuff like that. So I would you know if you I am looking for opinions from people who run those games. Like, I've had a look over them sort of at a high level, but honestly, like, I had already finished designing this game before I really ever took a look at that stuff. But uh, I am interested in seeing, like, if there are ways that... Because I am still in, like, public beta, so it's not, you know, set in stone yet. But for people who have ideas, like, I'd love for them to reach out to me and share, like... You know, lessons learned from those other genreless systems. But no, I'm not an expert on any of them. Like, I've not done, like, extensively run any of them. But I think, like, Savage Worlds and GURPS are, like, the main two that sort of come up. Is what, mm-hmm. Are there others that you have in mind? Um, those come up. Uh, Fate comes uh, yeah, up. Yeah, we've yeah, we've talked a little bit on the show about Cypher System, and those are the big ones. Cypher is one that I'm super interested in. I mean, I really <laughs> like what they're doing with, um, I feel like, there's the way that their story is sort of their stories are kind of almost like genre mashup and they're sort of real like outside of the box. That's something that I'm hoping to do with the campaign setting that we're writing. That's going to be part of our initial Kickstarter. It's act. It's like a, it's the collision of two worlds. One is like a sort of like uh grimy, sooty, polluted steampunk world. And the other is this like savage jungle world with all this magic and stuff like that. And, um, that's, I wanted to showcase the fact that, like, genre doesn't matter and that, you know, the, the those things can just, like, coexist. And so that's kind of, that's the ideal behind the, the campaign setting anyway. Awesome. I am not an expert in any of those systems myself, but just reading over, you know, sort of at a high level, it seems like the difference here is the ratio of crunch or rules right. to fluff. So I think... I think that might be what sets it apart, but again, yeah, yeah I, w- I would totally love to hear from people who have played any of those extensively or and Open Legends, you know, what their thoughts are on that stuff. I think that, and this is just my vague impression, but I think GURPS is, like, really crunchy. Um, yeah. That's what I've heard, you know. And, <laughs> Very much so. And then uh, I think Savage Worlds, um, Savage Worlds, I feel like, in terms of the balance between fluff and crunch, I actually feel like it might be similar to Open Legend. I think that for me, the difference is uh, one of the things, and we'll talk more about this later. But like, I, I I like the idea of not just having to roll one dot one dice at a time. Like you know, that's one of the fun things about Deadlands, for example. You like you have a fistful of d6s and mm-hmm. you just like let them fly. So Open Legend does that kind of thing, and, and like Savage Worlds, I think, for example your attributes change, like, which die you roll. And I don't know if the dice explode or not. I can't remember. But um, but anyway, you're still not rolling a lot of dice. And I, I like that I'm playing this game. The fact that you can, like, uh, ramp up and, and have, like, sort of large pools of dice that you're rolling is just it's so much fun when you play it because, like, a first-level character can roll, like, a 60 and it's like it's so much fun when it happens. I just I love it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> yeah, that that is very satisfying. I feel like a lot of the games I've been playing recently don't use but maybe one or two dice at a time, and just some little little something's missing. You know, yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally agree. I mean, I like the dice pool systems. It's just like there's just other other things about them that I just don't always satisfy for me. And then, and also, and actually, while we're talking about that, that's actually a good, that's a good point to make a distinction on, actually, is that 
one of the things that frustrated me with D&D, and this is, D&D is not, a, not at all a dice pool system, but it shares this, like, problem that I saw that I wanted to fix, which was, um, if you roll 10d6, the variance on that is so low, um, it's almost like not rolling dice, really, um, because you're going to roll between a, you know, 30 and 40, like, whatever, 80% of the time or something like that. You know what I mean? And so, <clears throat> for me, it's like, that just wasn't very satisfying. So, Open Legend is weird because it's a dice pool that sits on top of a d20. So it has the d20 from from most d20 games, which is obviously very prevalent, but then it has, instead of modifiers, like plus or minus to your d20 roll, the modifiers are the are the dice pool, and that introduces like a really high swing factor, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's I think that a lot of people that have looked at the game have told me, oh, I love... Games like uh, games like Savage Worlds or whatever um, that have a dice pool, and I want to play Open Legend, but the one thing that holds me back is that I don't like the D20, and I'm like, well, D20 is like the most fun part about it, actually. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but I, I know I, I know that there are people that are going to love the game, but I just mean like yeah, for those diehard people yeah. that love dice pool systems that want to roll like you know five d six. Mm. Like, you know, that's like Werewolf and Vampire as well as Savage Worlds and, and Deadlands. There's just so many games like that. So, Sorry, guys. You got to buy more dice. I know it's uh, yeah. it's heartbreaking. <laughs> we have to do that, they'll get over it. <laughs> cool. So actually, that's one of the first things that gets covered, it looks like, in the, the core rules for Open Legend is this action roll. Yep. Why don't you tell us about Exploding Dice? Okay. <laughs> So exploding dice. The fun part about Open Legends exploding dice because, uh, like Legend of the Five Rings has exploding dice. Lots of games have exploding. I think white. I think the White Wolf games do too. Um, mm. But the different part is a lot of times the other systems that use an exploding mechanism, exploding dice mechanism. What they'll do is they will ignore the numeric value. So instead, you'll be like. Uh, each time you roll a five or six, it's a wound or something like that. That's, I think, the White Wolf way. And so in Open Legend, the fun part is you really are adding the, the numeric total of the dice. And so the way it works is no matter what you're rolling in Open Legend, all the dice explode all the time. So anytime you roll maximum on any die of any type, it's going to explode. And since we have a d20, when you roll a 20, the crit is going to... Uh, sort of like nine times out of ten, I would say, nearly take the enemy out, if not directly take out an enemy in one hit when you roll a 20. Nice. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, and that's like a lot of fun because the combats don't end up being this really slow trade of I deal five damage to you, you deal five damage to me, I deal five damage to you, and so they tend to be a lot faster. There's a guy on Twitter, DM Leviathan, who who's got like a pretty big following, and mm-hmm. um, he he just G- GM'd his first Open Legend game this past Sunday, and uh, he ran out of content because the fights went fast. <laughs> oh, awesome! That I feel like that solves a pretty common problem, though. Is just hearing that it feels like Open Legend would be a great con game. Yeah. Because I feel like so many games I've been in recently get caught up in, oh my gosh, this combat is taking forever. We can't get to the good stuff. I know. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, that's 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 a good problem. I feel like to have. I agree. I I think it, I thought it was funny because I was like, oh, afterwards I felt bad that I didn't give him a better sort of heads up because I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess I didn't tell you about that time that the animal companion of the druid rolled a 66 and one shot in like round two killed my huge like big bad uh, monster oh. and i was like yeah i guess maybe i should mention that to you uh but anyway it was funny and, and i feel like that kind of ties into the vibe i was getting from the intro for this too is that open legends is meant to tell these epic stories mm-hmm. Like these these cool sweeping legends, like where big stuff like that can happen, where the the druid's companion does, yep. you know, take down the the big bat or something like that. So I, I I don't know. That's having that reinforced by the way the the mechanics work for combat is very cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I 
Ah, oh, man, I've been doing this for so long. I've been playing nothing but this game for like a year and a half or something like that. And um, I had to, I, I played in a fifth edition game not too long ago. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, I forgot how painful this was. <laughs> it's like so like on the rails, you know, like I like the idea of people being really imaginative. And that's, that's where that whole like fluff first crunch and the article that I wrote, the blog post or whatever, where I want it to be like the two don't have to compete with each other. And I think that by making the mechanics only control the numbers rather than controlling the story, uh, I think that's how you do it. And that's, that was my, that was my, my whole inspiration and, and why I sort of approached this the way I did or whatever. Perfect. So these, the numbers that we're generating, this action role, that kind of is the way most things are solved in Open Legend or yeah. all things? Yeah, or... I think um, there, are some, there are some like sub mechanics for, for like different things, but in terms of yeah. resolving an action, that's, uh, they're all done with the action role. So you can use your attributes, like you can use your agility to either hide or you can use your agility to deal damage. So um, mm. you just, you're just actually like, you know, you have these supernatural attributes like energy, which is, you know, ice and fire magic and whatever, uh, you know, and you just straight roll those attributes as a roll and that's your damage. That's your, that's your attack roll. So you don't have to roll once to hit and once to do damage. You just roll the total, uh, you just roll the attribute roll and then subtract the, uh, the target's defense and, and that's how much damage they take. It's pretty, pretty straightforward, I, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And then the the challenges where you're not working directly against another character, you've got static target numbers basically for level of difficulty, which seems very straightforward. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's just very like 10 plus double the level and we use a, we use like a 0 to 9 scale for everything. So like attributes your your attributes for your character can go from 0 to 9 and challenge ratings assume that they go sort of from 0 to 9 as well. So so I've played in uh, a lot of like more traditional type D&D games where it feels like the onus is on the GM a lot of the time to describe how these things play out and how everything looks and feels. By keeping this stuff vague uh, and, and putting so much of these choices in the hands of the players, are you are you seeing players doing more of that? You know, describing how how these things look, how they feel, what effects they have? Yeah, it's interesting. I've kind of... I wish that I had like, and and this is this is a plug as well for like anyone who's listening who's interested. Like the game's totally open, right? So it's open source, it's free. Like anybody can join in to you know contribute to the development of the the, the project itself. Um, but anyway, when I was um, when I first went public with it, I was doing a lot of roll twenty like open beta play tests where I would just run a group of complete strangers through like a scenario or whatever through a session of open legend. And um, when I was doing that, I found that the most common thing, and by most common, like more than 51%, maybe it was like 80% of the characters that people created were Mm -hmm. things that do not fit in any system at all. Um, That they're like totally different from every idea of character class that you would see in any any that I've seen, because what they were doing is, in many cases, it was just completely their own creation. In other cases, it would be like uh, one guy was like, "I want to, I want to be like Muad'Dib from Dune or something like that," <laughs> you know. And so for me, and I actually miss that. I'll tell, I'll talk a little more about how that's changed slightly. Um, I miss that because that was like so encouraging to me just to see people use their imagination that way. And uh, I just, I can't even stress enough how much I love it. Um, but then, since then, in order to sort of get the word out more and be more public, I've been doing a lot of stuff with uh, these guys with Encounter Roleplay, their uh, Twitch channel. And so I'm, I'm on their Sunday show every week running Open Legend, and I have been for quite a while. And so it's hard to find time to run that and a bunch of open beta play tests. So I haven't done as much with like mm-hmm. the open beta tests lately. Uh, I wish that I, but if people want to, <laughs> then I would really love for them to. So that, that would be awesome. But, um, you know, there's a free adventure module called a star Wars fallen on our website. So anyone can just take it and run your home group through it. And, uh, 
if you do, please, please, please let me know what you think. You know, just raise your hand to say, hey, I'm out here or whatever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I would totally love to hear how that goes, too. So uh, character creation then is so, so open. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, you know, the way that it typically works in other games, you pick a class and you're sort of your choices are, are refined from there, what you can take and what you already have. Right. Uh, but this is more like picking from from the whole list, you yeah, know, yeah, whatever yeah. you want to do. Um, so you've got attribute points, right? Yep. So how how is that played out? Like you were saying, you've seen some characters that are unlike, you know, the majority of, of characters are unlike any archetypes. It's it's hard to like throw out and say like so. Rather than like talk about like one specific character that somebody made up, this is this is actually a borrowed example like from D and D. But one one cool thing that I like is. There's like if you look at the example characters, um, we have one that's called, that I called a shadow dancer, right? And so it's basically like a roguish archetype, but then on top of it, they have have like um, magic that pertains to darkness and that kind of thing, right? And so if you, uh, so what's cool is because of the way attributes work, if you invest your your abilities. Uh, your attributes in in magical supernatural abilities, then um, you know, like you can be a shadow dancer. Which in D and D you had to be sixth level to be a shadow dancer, but in Open Legend you can do that at first level because you can take the movement attribute so that you're able to sort of slip between dimensions and teleport even at a, a low level. And then at higher mm-hmm. levels it becomes like increasingly powerful where you can you know use like the entropy attribute to cast darkness in areas and you know flavorful stuff like that that would make sense for like a shadow dancer you know so yeah looking over the attributes you've got you know a couple physical a couple mental a couple social and just a whole bunch of magic related attributes do you get anybody making a character that doesn't have a magical attribute of some sort does that happen yeah actually believe it or not lots of people do it's interesting it seems that um which is good you know i think people still feel free to be the kind of character that they want even though they know they're sort of like missing out and that actually that's actually because of the banes so the banes mm-hmm. the way the banes work is essentially um they're secondary effects that trigger on an exceptional attack and so if that happens and you're like a rogue, then you can do persistent damage, which might represent like the target is bleeding, or you can deal, um, you know, if you're like a fighter type, you might uh, do forced move, which can push the enemy back or something like that, because it's like this mighty blow that sends them flying or something. And so in that regard, because of the fact that the Bane system makes everyone able to have really flavorful and interesting like story that they add with their character uh that means that you can do it with the physical attributes too you don't have to have the the supernatural attributes to do it and so in that regard yeah lots of people will play characters that don't have the supernatural attributes they're an interesting they're a juggling act the supernatural attributes because if you wanted to be a wizard with Mm -hmm. like all those wizard spells you actually have to have many of the supernatural attributes to do that and um, what it does is it kind of forces people to specialize or, you know, focus their character concept. And like, and then in some cases, people just you know, avoid it altogether because, hey, like, you know, it, it's cool because people can be sort of like, like crunchy power gamer types too. Like you could just start with a five fortitude and a five might score, you would be like this incredibly difficult to kill character. You would be totally not rounded, but Hey, whatever, you know, that like, that's, I think, I think, I think that's cool. Actually, people can kind of, you know, take their own preference and, and not have to worry about the system punishing one or the other, or if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, it does. It does. Talking about uh, magical attributes actually relates to one of the user questions that we got that I was uh, talking to you a little bit about earlier from from Dan on Twitter, and they were wondering how in a in a system that's genreless, you know, this this very open system, when you have magic spells like that, uh, or or really anything, how do you balance giving enough information fluff wise? Mm-hmm. 
about what it is, but still leaving it open. So their example was with magic. Um, you know, if you wanted to have some kind of attack that does fire damage, you know, how do you describe this in a way that they could use it for ice damage or something else? Which I think you talk a little bit about in a in a blog post, actually. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, my default, the way I've handled that is that I'm trying to make the uh, like the Bane descriptions and the attribute descriptions, because really uh, everything that answers that question is contained in either an attribute or a Bane description. And so I've just done my best with those to uh, have, there's like a description of the effect and then there's the actual mechanics of it. And I just kind of try to separate it and I try to give, um, and I need, I want to do better about this actually. It's a, it's a, it's an item on the on the list of editing, you know, things that I need to take care of. But um, the the concept is uh, that you can basically, or that I would basically kind of spell out a wide array of different applications of of like a given bane or an attribute, so that people can say, oh, okay, okay, it's that it's that type of thing, you know. And mm-hmm. um, so that's that's kind of been my approach. Uh, but yeah, you know, I imagine that'll take some refining and that hopefully um, hopefully we do a good job of that and hopefully it's clear to people. Um, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where I do need people to just let me know if there's an issue. And there's lots of, we have uh, community.openlegendrpg.com and then there's the Trello board that you can mm-hmm. get to from the website. So those are two good places to ask questions and that sort of thing. Okay, cool. We will have those in the show notes. And I guess maybe we, we've alluded to it uh, a couple times now. So you make your character and you've spent your attribute points designing him however you want them to be. And then these banes and boons, how does that work? So banes are what happen um, anytime you do 10 or more damage. And from like a math perspective, it's kind of cool because to swing that high to sort of beat your opponent's defense by 10 or more, it's like it's on that sort of trailing off part of the curve, the bell curve or whatever, you know? And mm-hmm. so it doesn't happen all that often, which is cool because it does become a status effect that you have to manage, which is like, I mean, m- lots of games have status effects, um, like fourth edition D&D. I think people got a little bit frustrated with it, actually, because mm-hmm. there were so many of them. And so the fun thing here is that it actually only comes into play sometimes when you when you sort of roll you know, significantly higher than the target's defense, right? And so that prevents it from being like this really oversaturated, you know, sort of thing that's always, you're always managing that's hard to remember or deal with. And so then when it happens, you know, whatever attribute you attacked with, that attribute will have an array of banes that are possible with it. So for example, uh, we talked a little bit before, like might, you can do forced move. But uh, you can also do that with agility, right? So agility, forced move is the ability to, I don't know, be like a judo uh, person who just, you know, dodges out of the way and throws some, makes somebody just go flying through the air or whatever um, because of their own momentum and control and stuff like that. So there's a really wide array of, of potential things that can happen. Uh, those are all the banes. I think there's like, I don't know, there's like 60 or 70 or something like that. There's a lot of them. Um, oh wow! And so those are those are all the things that you're doing to someone else. Yeah, those are all the things that you can do to somebody else. And so once once you trigger that, then that's the part where it's like that's the flavorful part where it's like, hey, I did an energy attack, so persistent damage is one of them. So uh, I'm an ice mage, so it's like everybody has frostbite that's sort of like seeping into them, and so they're like they're slowly <laughs> turning to ice. And when you deal. You know, when you finish them off, then they just become a block of ice or something like that. That's just an example, right? You know, like... Yeah. And so I want people to just be real free and, and sort of, like, open with, with a, the storytelling component. So, but yeah, so those are Banes. And um, one little thing that's, like, I almost wish I could write it into the core rules, but it just doesn't make sense to have it there. Um, a really cool way to make a character is uh, to define a specific hook for your character, like a specific bane, whether that's a fire mage that always lights people on fire or uh, whatever. And so you can take a feat called bane focus, and that makes it so that for that particular bane, you only have to deal five damage in order to trigger the secondary, the bane effect, right? So Mm. that's like a really like dead simple way for a person to make a character that's real memorable. You know what I mean? That's like 
the rogue does poisoning damage and the, the, the fire mage does fire damage, but they're actually all the same feat, right? They're just bane focus and then the persistent damage bane. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, mm-hmm. like really simple. But then there's, there's lots of other, you know, I'm, I don't want to go into all the banes because there's just a lot of them. But yeah. um, once you learn it, though, uh, you can play any character class and you don't have to relearn anything. And it's, it's less than the, you know, 300 spell descriptions that you have to read to play D&D or something like that, you know. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, and then boons are, boons are like make yourself invisible or um, fly. Uh, those, are, those are boons. And then the idea with that is that you can, you can maintain one at a time. Uh, so Open Legend doesn't have any concept of a limitation to how often you can use your abilities. You can use all of them uh, as many times as you want to. And so, you know, basically with flight, the limiting factor is if you're already flying, then you can't also make yourself invisible because you're already focusing and concentrating to to keep the one uh, boon going. And then you can okay. t- take a feat if you want to to override that. You can take a feat that lets you have two effects at once, but I feel like that becomes confusing, and there are certain players that like that thing, so I think it works really well to have it as a feat, because if you like managing like many status effects like that, then the game mm-hmm. lets you do it if you want to, but it makes you pay a price for it because that is a powerful ability, and uh, for the rest of us, like, like me, I don't like juggling a lot of that stuff at once personally, and so I can just play like my simple character and then... You know, you can play your really difficult to be <laughs> yeah. character or whatever you want to do. <laughs> nice. I, I like that sliding scale of, of complexity for people to get as, as down and dirty with it as, as they would like to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, cool. And so all of these things, the banes, the boons, the, the feats too, and the feats are, are more or less similar to feats that we think of traditionally like Dungeons and Dragons sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. They're, is that right? They are similar. Um, the difference is like, like I just gave the example of uh, Bane Focus, Persistent Damage is a, a feat that you can take. And that could be, the story on that can be applied to many. So the idea is a lot of our, we have a good number of feats. I think I, we don't have 70 Banes, I think we have 70 feats. I can't remember how many Banes mm. we have. Maybe it's like 30 or something like that, actually. But the feats, many of them, many of them can, one feat can be used to tell 20 different character stories. You know, so it's like, it's interesting. It's like dense, but yet not obvious when you first sort of see it, if that makes sense or whatever. So, right. So that's cool. Uh, but yeah, the feats are in many ways, they just kind of give you a bone, like, you know, they'll give you advantage. So you can take like attack specialization energy. And then whenever you make an energy attack, uh, you roll an extra die on top of your, your regular dice. And then you just, you drop the lowest one. So that's that's real important to the game is that, you know, the highest attribute you can have at first level is a 5, which gives you 2d6 for your attribute dice, and then mm-hmm. it scales up to uh, 3d10 at ninth level at, at attribute 9, which is the highest. And um, all the while, so like a 10th level character might look like a wizard with uh, 9 ranks and 9 attribute score for energy, and then uh, they have like attack specialization 5 for energy, so they're going to roll 3d10 for their attribute, and then they're going to add 5 more because of the feat, and so that's going to be 8d10, and you keep the highest 3. So, anyway, it, it, ends up, nice. it ends up being, like, some really, really crazy high rolls, which is, uh, which is fun, so... <laughs> Awesome. And and feats, it looks like you have feat points to spend, like the attributes. You buy those. The the banes you mentioned you get on certain rolls. Yep. Is that the same for boons? Uh, no. So boons are, boons are just actively invoked. Um, mm. So you just... So with boons, you simply... And I should clarify that part too, because if you want to... One of the cool things is like if you want to slow somebody down... So that's that's good. I'm glad we talked about this because this is actually pretty important. Like, if you want to slow somebody down from a storytelling perspective, like, a lot of systems will have a specific set of, like, you do this and you do that in order to accomplish this or whatever. In Open Legend, we just, like, we say, okay, slowed. That's a bane. And that the difficulty level or the power level, as we call it, is, like, you know, three. Okay? So you have to have an attribute score of three 
in order to slow somebody down because you have to, you know, that's the mm. level of power. And the idea then is that this works the same for Banes and Boons. You can just invoke it. So if a wizard is like, oh man, I really need to slow these attacking, you know, I'm going to cast an ice spell that slows these, uh, marauding orcs that are, that are, that are coming after us or whatever. You can do that instead of just hoping and fingers crossed that you roll 10 damage in order to inflict that bane, you can actually just make a bane attack. And a bane attack um, mm. can never do damage. But as long as you hit their defense, it, it uh, the secondary, the bane effect is triggered. So, like, you would just, you know, you just roll very simply. You just have to hit the defense of the orc, and then it's slowed if you do. Um, but, there, but, you know, you might roll a 50... But that's not going to deal damage in, no matter what you roll. So, you know, it's like a choice you make. And then boons work the same way. So the boons are like, if it's a power level 5 boon, then you have to roll 20 or better with your attribute to invoke it. And so because you can keep trying and we have no limit on, like, how much you can try to do something, we just put this thing where it's like, hey, you could fail. And so we have a whole mechanic around that called every roll matters. That's one of our, like real important principles in Open Legend. Did you see that one? I did. Why don't, why don't you talk about that a little bit? So Every Roll Matters is... Um, this is definitely inspired... Like, there are other systems that do this, like Dungeon World, mm-hmm. uh, where you kind of fail forward or whatever. Um, I didn't like the idea of locking it to, like, if this roll are better than this, and, and instead, it's very mm-hmm. simply anything that's below the needed roll is like up to the GM to narrate. So if I roll an attack roll and I miss, then what happens is both the GM and the player, they both choose to do something to the other. So like one of them is like you can just deal five damage. And so even though you missed, you still push the story forward. And, you know, it kind of represents the fact that people don't actually just sort of stand each stand in front of each other and like whack at each other with a sword and mm-hmm. you know, nothing happens. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't really happen in stories. Uh, and so you might be like, oh, too bad the monster's near that ledge. And so you like, you use the move, the forced move bane to push them off the edge or something like that. That's one example. And so that's a, it's like a trade thing. But then outside of combat, the idea is if you, if you don't roll high enough to do whatever you were trying to do, then the GM should make something change. Like it shouldn't just be like, oh, the first player failed, and now the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth players are all going to take their turn and see if they can roll over, you know, whatever number. Instead, it's like, okay, well, you tried to pick the lock and you failed, but there's an opportunity. Like in the in the rules text, this is an example where it's like, oh, the GM can say, well, you know, but you hear a guard coming down the hall and you might be able to get the keys from him. So that way, it's not like the next player is just like, okay, my turn. And you, you know what I mean, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea is, like, because the rolls are really huge in Open Legend and you have this chance to roll a 60 or, a, or roll a 1 or whatever, we want you to only roll dice when it's actually going to have an effect on the story. And no matter what the roll is, it should have some effect. That's, that's like, our principle. That's our, like, guiding principle with the game. That is awesome. I feel like every role-playing game should take that into account because it is very hard to go back to systems that don't do that. I know, I know. Oh, man. Totally, totally agreed. So uh, what's what's the max level? How far can you play? We only define up to 10 in the, in the book right now, but uh, okay. the idea is because it's all, like, simply point-based, there's, there's no level limit. You can play as high as you want. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, there's... Um, I guess it's probably not terribly different from D&D, to be honest with you. Like, Because what happens is, I think you would probably have to be over 20th level to be in a scenario where it's like you've got so many attribute points that you just have nine and everything. I think you would probably... Mm-hmm. That would happen at like 25th level or 30th. I haven't done the math lately, but the way... So the cost is like... So if I want to go from a zero to a one, it costs one point. If I want to go from a 2 to a 3, it costs 3 points, right? So the total cost of a 9 from a 0 is 45, I think, points, right? Yeah. So if you get if you get 9 per level, that's like, what? That's 5 levels to get another 9. 
So like mm-hmm. once you get to 10th level, you'll have another nine at 15th and another nine at 20th and another nine at like 25th. So that, yeah, that, it'll, it'll take a little while. Yeah. So I think it plays pretty well. Like if you wanted to make it high level. Um, but I've, I've always found that games like, I mean, if you want to start high level, that's one thing. But for me, uh, playing in like long-term campaigns, which is one of my favorite things to do. And if you start from first level, you know, eventually like people are ready for a change by the time I've played this campaign for like four years and we're like 13th or 14th level or whatever. So I figured that's kind of why I just went with 10 as like a reasonable sort of cap. But of course, yeah. you can, people can do whatever they want to, of course. <laughs> That seems like a pretty reasonable place to start, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we had one question that I know you saw on Twitter that was about party size. Our, our friend Jeff at Party of One podcast, who has a very particular interest in two-player role-playing games. That's hilarious. I didn't, I didn't realize that was a one-player game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'll play, um, he, he has a podcast where he runs games for one player, and they're very cool. There's actually a lot more games than I realized that fit that description. And I guess he's run into some issues with these types of, you know, genreless systems or open games or things like that, where they are still expecting you to have a certain number of people minimum and, you know, a certain party dynamic and that sort of thing. And and you started to to talk to him about it. So how does Open Legend handle that? Yeah, I think that I almost feel like uh, when I answered his question, I'm not sure if he... Because he had initially said that, you know, like a cursory glance at the Open Legend rules made it look like it would probably work well. And I'm not sure if he was already thinking what I said, which I said, yeah, we also don't, you know, we don't have a party size requirement. We also don't have like a a requirement that people have a healer, for example. Like in, it's little things like that that just really, really got to grate on my nerves about like D&D. The fact that you kind of need to have a healer. Like, it's like, I'm like, I want to tell a story. Story. I don't. I don't want to like play this thing where I'm not playing football. I, I don't want to have to be required to play have a quarterback or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, seems silly to me. Uh, so, so anyway, because we don't do resource management, you know, where like all of the abilities are always use, usable at all times. That means we also don't want to have a weird thing where you have to sort of keep track of hit points because if you can heal infinite amount of times as the healer, what's the point in having like hit points that you have to sort of like maintain or keep them from going too low over the course of a day? So mm-hmm. in Open Legend, you heal up to full hit points after each combat. Um, and so that means that people can play parties that don't have a healer. It also means that in a one character game, you can't survive if you, <laughs> if you're not a healer, right? Because you have to heal yourself. So mm-hmm. in a one player game, you can, uh, you know, you, you can play whatever you want and, um, and it should be fine. I don't know. What, what, in, what do awesome. you think he had in mind? Cause I, I don't know well enough to know for sure <laughs> what he was looking for. Well, the games that end up getting played on his show are usually indie games, because that's sort of what caters to that, either uh, one player and one GM, or maybe two players and no GM sort of aesthetic. So it's a lot of, a lot less sweeping epic stories and a lot more like one shot, very contained sort of, uh, sort of stories like that. Like he and I actually just played a game uh, called 39 Dark, Mm -hmm. which is a sequel to Mars Colony. And it's about like one protagonist who is on Mars Mm -hmm. and the, basically like the the social change that they're trying to enact through whatever means you, you sort of choose. So like they, they sound a little esoteric in description, but they're, you know, very fun games to play. So uh, I, I don't know if this would make his list, but it's nice to know that he's got the option yeah. if he wants to play this sort of uh, fantasy epic, because you you really don't see that in uh, being available to such a small party size. Yeah, that's true. I um, I wonder how many people have played one-player games. I, I wonder what the, like, well, I would love mm-hmm. to know what the overall gaming population, you know, what, what they're, because I've played in one. I, want, I ran a one-player game once. uh mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was fun. It was a, um, it was a samurai game. And, uh, the main character oh. was a, the, the player was like a samurai. And he, uh, it was actually pretty cool. We were playing with like, um, the like yujitsu rules, like where you kind of, you have like a, and like a yado duel where the two samurai have to draw their weapons and, and whatever, you know, the first one to strike wins or something. <laughs> it was like, uh, 
it was cool because the player had this amazing streak of luck that just like really worked well for the story because he kept rolling like a crit every time he had to duel, but then otherwise he like wasn't all that exceptional, but he had this incredible honor because he was undefeated in like in a duel. You know? It was like a really cool story. Do you do you happen to remember the name of that? Um, this was D and D third edition with the oh. rule set called Rokugan. Um, okay. So they put out they they translated Oriental Adventures. They called it in second edition. Uh, they translated it into the third edition as what they called Rokugan, and um, so that's that was the it was like a setting that had cool. its own had its own classes and all that stuff. It's cool sub subset of rules. I'm I'm just thinking that our uh, fellow network host Jim McClure has to know about this. I'm sure he does. So oh, that that sure. sounds right up his alley. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Jim must know about it. <laughs> he it's he's legally obligated to. Um, <laughs> cool. So you've been working on this for years. What has it been like, like building this open source game for years? Uh, by yourself, more or less, yeah? Yeah, I mean, in the last year and a half, there's lots of other people because I've been running a campaign for a year and a half, so I've got lots of input from my players, and then I've got a lot of other actual uh, writers and uh, people that are you know, part of the core development team. So, I mean, by a lot, I don't mean scores, but... But, but, but yeah, yeah. I mean, more than before. <laughs> but yeah, before that, so for the first, you know, the first three or three, three, four years... Before I went public with it, yeah, I just kind of built it on my own for a long time. And, uh, I mean, I could have done it faster, really. Um, it was like I was really inspired to do it, whatever, five years ago. And then um, I did some initial early play tests and just kind of refined it. And it took me a long time to sort of write out. I was waiting to have, you know, enough of the Bane and Boone and Feet, you know, Feet options there so that people who played it didn't feel like they were like, playing something that was extremely cumbersome and unfinished. So mm-hmm. I just kind of worked, whittled away at that for like a long time and then uh, and then just sort of like really amped it up, like I said, maybe a year and a half ago or something like that. So it was cool. I mean, it, it's been it's been fun. I uh, The inspiration for it being open source is because uh, as, a, as a developer in my day job, mm-hmm. um, we use open source software for everything. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like a... It's a like a core foundational thing with uh, my day job because you know somebody makes um, this code that does this one thing, this one specific thing really well, and then they put it out for the public to use, and then they get the benefit of other developers finding bugs that they never noticed because they're using it in different ways and stuff like that. So the communal effort and this sort of like. Not not in a bad way, but in a good way, almost like a hive mind, you know, kind of effect is like really, really powerful. I mean, it's a there are people, there are developers who just they get lost in the open source like rabbit trail or the rabbit hole and they never come out. You know what I mean? And they just, mm-hmm. just go deep and eventually like there'll be people that get sponsored by like large tech companies and stuff like that because they're these they're contributing so much value, you know, to the to the industry. So anyway, around to Open Legend, it's like I've seen that work to such an incredible effect. The idea of sharing knowledge is so, 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 so powerful that I wanted this thing to be something that other people could use, this thing that I'm building uh, for the same reasons, you know, in the same way. And I think that, you know, in the current, like, industry for role-playing games, I think the best way to make your game appealing to people is to make it really accessible. Um, and, you know, it's obvious that everybody gets that because even the people who are the latest to adopt that policy, Wizards of the Coast, has now done so um, with, you know, mm. their they have their, uh, uh, what's it called, the marketplace online where people can... Oh, their DMs Guild. Yeah, DMs Guild. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, that's kind of like my thought is that the best way to get people to play the game, it's like... As an indie developer, I feel like the amount of uphill battle that you have to do, like the work to publish something proprietary when people can't like try it and see if they like it is so hard. It's almost like kind of a kiss of death for a new game. So that's why I think like open source is really the way to go. So that's just my opinion though. 
Yeah. So the idea is to keep it open source? Yeah, the rules will always be free on the website. And uh, what will happen is in October when we do a Kickstarter to uh, get a physical print of the rules, um, nice. you'll be able to buy the full art PDF for a cost and you'll be able to buy the, the hardback uh, rule book for a cost. But the website will always have the core rules and that's like a, it's like a thing that I do for my eight-year-old self who was like, you know, my parents didn't really want me to play role-playing games when I was younger. And mm. um, the idea of having something that's just on the internet, that means that, you know, kids who don't have the money or whatever to play the game, they can just just use the rules on the website and they can have all the fun they want to with it. And um, that way people can see what they're buying. And then, you know, if they like it, they can buy the book. So Awesome. Um, and so I, I saw one other blog post of yours, I think, too, talking about Open Legend as it becomes more genreless. Uh, you were talking about the logo mm-hmm. as the the article that I saw. Oh yeah, you saw that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, which which looks pretty good. Thank you. So how how does that how how do you see that affecting the rules that you've got on the website? Like, are you are you seeing it as um, adding more? Banes and boons and things like that to encompass more genres or or making descriptions a little more, um, you know, adding extra descriptions or more generic descriptions or like what that it feels very daunting. So how how do you tackle that? <laughs> Great question. Uh, if I uh, if you if you figure it out, you let me know. No, I'm just okay. <laughs> no. Um, I have a couple ideas around it, but nothing really is firm. Um, okay. One of the things is like. I was actually thinking about having like a like on the website maybe I'll have like a genre switcher where you can mm-hmm. like you can swap to a genre and it would change like the look and feel of the website and then like the banes yeah. and boons that you could like access because the magic ones go away for like cyberpunk or something like that. You know, that's that's one thought, but I do think that uh I man, I wish I knew the answer because I so the, the the size of that task is so enormous that I don't feel like I I feel like it would be uh, risky in a way that's unwise to tackle like head on. Hey, let's just incorporate all genres and make sure it feels like totally like it's all there right in the core rules. Oh so, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so that's why my thought on it is that you know maybe maybe genre books um, expansion or whatever books will even take the existing banes and boons and just re restate them. You know, yeah. in such a way that uh, makes it more obvious, like why that makes sense for that genre. So, like maybe the and and some of the things that will change, like you know, in a cyberpunk one, you probably need to have a separate attribute for like hacking versus you know whatever else, right? You know what I mean? So, uh, like you know, social skills or something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. So we'll probably just have like a redefinition of the attributes. You know, and maybe Banes and Boons too in those mm-hmm. expansion books. So I don't know. I'll kind of, I'm still the the jury is still out on that one, and I'm very I'm very interested cool. in people's uh, opinions about it because I I want it to be there. I want it to be appealing to people. Um, it's a really hard problem to solve, though. So yeah. I, I can definitely see that. And Cyberpunk was the one I was keeping in the back of my mind as I was reading through some of the rules thinking, okay, how would this be how would this be Cyberpunk? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and like I could see logic being hacking. Yeah. Like I, I could yeah. make that argument. Yeah, yeah. Um so there there's that. Have you to your knowledge, have you had people play Open Legend as anything other than fantasy with the rules as written? <clears throat> well, I've I've run uh, two one shots that are basically Deadlands. Um I, okay. I called it Weird Wild West. And uh, there was, like, a guy who was having, like, a fit, and he was, like, an alchemist who was, like, indirectly creating a nuclear reaction and, uh, you know, all kinds of weird stuff like that. And, like, one guy who had, like, sold his soul to be an amazing shot at a... (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, so I've done I've done uh, I've done the Wild West thing, uh, the weird Wild West thing. Um, that worked out cool. really well. One of our one of my uh, core contributors is a guy named Kyle Willie, and he uh, he wrote already up to fifty pages or more of uh, campaign setting for a space opera game. 
And, and uh, it's actually, if you go to the Trello boards, it's, it's, it's hidden, but it's on there, in fact. And I have a guy. So this is really cool. I started this thing, community.openlegendrpg.com. And mm-hmm. on there, that gives people who are... Um, uh, people who are playing the game a chance to interact with each other or, you know, find each other and, and have discussions about what they're doing and create their own little, like, pocket where they can talk about stuff. And um, there is a guy on there who joined and was asking Kyle uh, questions about... Uh, it's called The Legacy of Eight. It's the, that's the name of his campaign setting. And mm. um, he was asking Kyle questions about The Legacy of Eight. And so I can only assume... That, that he's actually running it. Uh, I think he is. Um, so, yeah, but the, the biggest problem I have, <laughs> and this is why I get on my soapbox whenever I have a chance about, like, please, you know, reach, tell me that you're playing the game. You know, like, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> just, just you know, tweet to me and say something because uh, I'm sure that there are people, uh, lots of people out there who are playing the game and probably doing all kinds of stuff with it, but... The problem is that I don't know, you know, and so, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but, um, so there's, there's some genre crossover examples anyway, so. Cool. Um, I think we only had one other user question that you may have seen, probably, probably a friend of yours, uh, <laughs> uh, the exploding DM on Twitter. Yeah. Askren wants to know if you're auditioning for ZZ Top. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, which unfortunately this is an audio medium, so sorry guys. Yeah, sorry guys. The uh, <laughs> the rather rather large beard effect probably doesn't carry very well over the airwaves, but um, yeah, it's there. Uh, it's yeah. it's a very large beard, and um, no, I uh, I am not yet. Uh, I, no, I, maybe that's my backup. That's my retirement plan. If everything else falls through, uh, there you go. Maybe I'll see if I can't can't work my way onto onto the, the band for ZZ Top. It's it's nice to have a plan B. It is. It's, it's good. Yeah. It's important. <laughs> cool. Well, this has been really awesome. Um, where can we find Open Legend and you and your beard online? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to find my beard, you can find me at my, my name. I'm, I'm Brian Feaster on Twitter, uh, but that's not... <laughs> Since I have to manage the Open Legend Twitter account, I don't really t- do anything on my account. But um, on Twitter, at OpenLegendRPG, and then uh, the website, same thing. It's uh, OpenLegendRPG.com. And um, on there, on the website, you can find links to lots of other stuff like the blog. Uh, on the right sidebar, you can find links to the Trello development board where you can find the actual development team discussing things and uh, moving priorities around and reworking things and such. And then there's community.openlegendrpg.com where people there is a group of people who are interested in playing Open Legend, and it's a good way to talk to them about the game, ask questions. Like if you have a, like a non-development question and maybe you're like not mm-hmm. on Twitter... Um, then there's that's a great place to go and uh, and ask a question or reach out or get get involved in the discussion. And then we're we're like technically on Twitch, but I'm like on hiatus. I used to run my I also have an inner circle, you know, the development like the, my inner play test, the one that like I did starting a year and a half and ago, a year and a half ago. Um, I used to to stream that on Twitch, but uh, I took a break just because I felt like I want to offer some like production value and, and like some nice bells and whistles on the actual production and uh, just too busy to do that. So right now I'm, I'm not, but I probably will eventually start streaming there um, again. And then every Sunday as of now, I'm on, uh, we're on the Encounter Roleplay uh, Twitch channel. So Sunday at 1 p- Sundays at 1 p.m., uh, I almost always am running an Open Legend game like I said before, DM Leviathan's running it right now. Uh, cool. But this uh, this podcast shall live for a long time, and that <laughs> won't be true at some point. But um, we'll probably be. We can only hope. Very cool. Um, and it actually, speaking of this particular show, it will be coming out um, a week ish from now. So, um, so that's before Gen Con. Which do you have any plans to be at conventions or anything anytime soon? It's a great question. Um, my my hermetic nature really really uh, gets in the way, but I will yeah. I will go to Gen Con, uh, but I'm not going to do it this year because I'm still very heads down on you know the actual writing of the campaign setting. 
mm-hmm. finishing up some some more bits about the rules. It's, it's you know, the rules themselves are like 95% done or whatever. But so, yeah, you know, it really depends. Like after October, when I do the Kickstarter for the rules, then um, I will know a lot more about where this stands in terms of my priorities. It's, it takes up mm-hmm. a really, really, really huge amount of my time. And um, it's a labor of love, but like if it also makes money, then obviously it'll be easier for me to justify spending more time on it. And, uh, (laughs) you know, um, so, you know, if I get, if I hit the jackpot and have like a really great Kickstarter, you know, then I'll pretty much most assuredly will be at Gen Con next year. Uh, if it doesn't happen, then eh, maybe not, maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see. Cool. Well, we will keep an eye out for that and we'll definitely have, we'll be showing the Kickstarter when it comes up in October and all that. Goodness. So yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I I mean, I love the game. It's like my favorite game ever. I'm really, I'm not at all biased. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. So you liked it? Yeah. I do. I'm excited to see. Like, there's there's definitely a part of my brain, as I'm reading through the rules, I'm like, what can I do with this? Like, how do I make this? Like, how do I play with it and change it? But that's the way my brain works. So well, That's great, because it's, <laughs> that's very well. I mean, it's almost like changing it is, you almost don't have to change it to change it, right? Right. You know, yeah, which yeah. Is it's, like... it's, it's all fluff-based. Like, how do I make this, you know, a, a space game? How do I make this... Yeah. You know, something else which apparently someone else is already doing so i'll have to go look yeah well hey but, uh, let, let me know uh you know where to reach me if yeah. you uh yeah. have a proposal or something that you want to work on i'd love to see it absolutely um <laughs> awesome well thank thank you so much for being on the show it has been a lot of fun yeah, i really appreciate you having me i know it's uh there are a million games out there that one can uh, feature, so I'm grateful that you chose me, like a, like a Pokemon or whatever, right, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a really good Pokemon. <laughs> oh, are you are you playing Pokemon Go? Are you one of those? Um, I played it for a little bit. I like yeah. I like the idea of it. I just uh, I, I just don't have enough time to walk that much. But uh, I I do. Yeah, no. <laughs> if I did, I would be playing a lot more Pokemon Go. I started over. Everybody should know that that thing, like where you can get Pikachu in the beginning, that's true. If you, <gasps> I started over because I don't have any investment in it because you know I'm, I don't. Yeah, so if you walk around and you walk away from the three initial ones and you mm-hmm. repeat that like four or five times, then on the last time the three show up, but then there's a fourth one which is Pikachu. Oh. So. All right. Cool. And it's cool because you can you know you can like turn him around and like tap him and he like you know he like lights up with lightning and stuff like that's really cute that's adorable if i ever left my apartment i would play that game more <laughs> <laughs> that's me that's me yeah. right i'm, I'm yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> cool well at least i can have a pikachu and that will be my life so. yeah exactly cool. it's perfect <laughs> Thanks again to Brian for being on the show, and if you're interested in the system to play it, or to help with it, or to just fiddle around with it a bit, all the links you need are in the show notes. We'd both love to hear what you get up to. One more thing in the show notes this week. On Tuesday, I played in a game of Brendan Conway's Masks with some fellow podcasters that we live-streamed, and it was a lot of fun. I know not everyone shares our weird schedules, so a link to the recorded YouTube video is available. Thanks again to Brandon from Stop, Hack, and Roll for running the game, and to Jeff from Party of One Podcast, and Quinn from Swallows of the South for playing my angsty, super teen teammates. Hopefully we'll do more streams like this, so we can all experience some new systems together. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast, or at the headquarters at modifierpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to modifierpodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Next time on Modifier, Jim McClure and Palomi Pratap are here with the two-player samurai RPG, Reflections. See you then.